We're going to start something new tonight in our series. We're going to call this series Perspectives. It's going to make a lot of sense why we do that in just a few moments. But I wanted to explain it to you, and it was something that in our eldership team, we discuss where we think the Lord wants us to dive into the Word of God together in the next series. We always do that. We've done that for years. We talk about what's percolating in the Spirit. Sometimes we pray on it. We'll put a a couple of topics out there, and eventually the Holy Spirit tells us really something uh, of a direction to go. But this particular series on perspective, I just want to give credit. Pastor Ray had this on his heart. And so he shared it with the team, and we said, you know, we want to jump into that. So each one of the pastors are going to get a chance over the next couple of weeks to share as we're in this perspective series. And I thought that made a lot of sense because you'd get different perspectives. Isn't that cute? I thought that was really cute. Thank you. Thank you for noticing that. But I want to explain the goals of this perspective series. We will be taking a very famous story from the Bible. It could be from the, the Brechadashah, the Tanakh. It could be from the New Testament, the Old Testament. But it has to be a story where God is doing something obviously miraculous as he normally does. But there are multiple people involved in the story. And we're going to walk you through their different perspectives and what they saw, what they gleaned, how they would be impacted by the story that they saw. And we're hoping that that connects with various people in the congregation here, that as you hear these stories, you get to figure out who are you in the story. You get a lot of options. You got to be somebody in the story. That's the rule of the homework. You got you to pick somebody. You got to be somebody in the story or maybe a couple of somebodies in the story, right? And the word of God is alive. It it can do these kind of things because we're all at different stages in our life. We're all in different situations, scenarios. We all need to hear the Lord a little differently. We need his leading. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. It's not our main text, but I, I just came to mind. For the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, guys, the word of God, it ministers to all of us in different ways at different times and from different perspectives, depending on where we are in life and where, really where we are on our journey with the Lord himself. So we hope to cover some different perspectives of various people in these stories. So let's start off in Matthew chapter 9. I want to give you a quick background. The disciples have been following Yeshua for some time. They've just come out of a series of miracles. They just saw Yeshua deliver two demon-possessed men. They just saw Yeshua heal a paralyzed servant of the centurion. And when our text picks up, the disciples are with Yeshua as he's talking to a crowd and he's discussing with them the idea of fasting. That's, that's the topic. That's what's going on. Some of the people are, are, are John, the immerser, John the Baptist, the cousin of Yeshua. Some of the people are from him, so they're asking about him. Hey, John and, and his guys, they fast a lot. How come your, your guys don't fast? And then you've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Yeah, man, we want to know about all that. How come you guys aren't fasting like the rest of us? And Yeshua is is there teaching about what it means to fast from the heart when God and the Spirit of God leads you in these things. That's what's going on. 
And we pick it up in Matthew 9, verse 18. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Yeshua got up and went with him and so did his disciples. What's interesting about this is as we've recently come out of the story of the centurion, that was just a few verses earlier, in chapter eight you'll find that story, I think. The disciples saw a similar situation. Yeshua was there talking. A centurion, a Roman centurion who had a paralyzed servant, he was a little reluctant to go to Yeshua, so he sent some Jewish elders to go talk to him. You go get him. Y'all know him. Y'all have heard about him. I'm Roman. He's Jewish. Go get him. And they go to get Yeshua, and Yeshua stops what he's doing at that moment And he starts to go toward wherever the centurion and his servant are. Now, we we know the story from even Luke chapter 7 that Yeshua doesn't get all the way there. And they meet him and they say, the centurion comes out and he says, you know what? You don't even have to come. And then you have the whole amazing faith dialogue about as the centurion, I know what it's like to be under authority, and, and, and you, sir, have all the authority. So all you have to do is just say they're healed, they'll be healed. You don't even have to come to my house. That's what's just happened. The disciples just saw all of that, right? Even in Luke chapter 7, verse 6, it says, So Yeshua went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Yeshua does point out, however, that it was the faith of the centurion. He said, your faith has healed your servant. So he's trying to get people to look at the faith part of this. And in a similar way, Yeshua's there talking to the crowd, John's disciples, maybe the religious people. They're talking about fasting. He's explaining some details. And here comes a synagogue ruler, interrupting. He's interrupting the teaching. And he kneels down before Yeshua and he says, you have to come with me. You have to come. My daughter's just died. Now the disciples have seen seen him do something similar before. So Yeshua stops the conversation. He gets up. He starts heading toward the synagogue ruler's house. The disciples say, ah, that's what you do. Even if you're teaching, someone comes and they have a desperate need, you get up, you go to where they need you. And the passage even, even says, Yeshua got up and he went with the synagogue ruler and so did his disciples. So you see what I'm doing here is I'm telling you all of the people that are in the picture. Yeshua's there. You've got a crowd there. You have the disciples there. And then you have the synagogue ruler there. So there's going to be some people in this story circle. It's also interesting that the information that Matthew gave us from the synagogue ruler's own description was he says, come, my daughter has just died, but if you come, she will live. Remember the faith of the centurion. This guy's catching on to it too. If you come, she'll live. The other one was just paralyzed. This one's dead. And he really, he really goes to the top of faith there. It doesn't matter if they're dead. You come. 
faith. What's interesting about a cross-reference to this story is in the book of Mark. If you want to look there with me, Mark chapter 5, verse 21, you get the same story, but you get a few different details. And this part of our perspectives is to look not only at our perspective and to look at the people in the story perspective, but sometimes it's the, it's the writer's perspective that's different. Mark has a little bit different perspective than Matthew did. Mark 5, 21. When Yeshua had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus. So now we learn his name. Jairus came, and when he saw Yeshua, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little girl is dying. Matthew said he was dead. she was dead. Mark said she's dying. Interesting, right? A little, little different perspective. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Regardless of the perspective, both Matthew and Mark, who a lot of people think are actually writing for Peter, right? John Mark is writing Peter's account. So in this case, we're going to say Matthew and Peter are looking at this story and they're remembering, one's remembering she died. The other one's remembering, no, no, she wasn't dead. She was dying. But the point, is, the point is, this man had faith. And he said, if you will come, she'll be healed. I got a couple of photos for you tonight, too. Put, put that first photo up there, just to give you a visual. Sometimes it's helpful for you visual learners. Just think about what it's like to be Jairus and kneel down. Twice it says he knelt down in front of Yeshua. This is not just your average person. This is not just a Jewish person. This is a synagogue ruler knowing he's about to go, in his desperate moment, go kneel down before Yeshua, knowing he's about to get backlash more than he ever bargained for. You understand where he's coming from? You understand the perspective here. The centurion had his own perspective, right? The centurion was like, oh, the, the Jews, I can't get involved with that. Somebody go get him. So he had a desperate moment, but he was still willing to cross that line and say, I need to humble myself before the Lord. He has authority. Jairus, the synagogue ruler, has a lot of reputation on the line here. And he goes and kneels down before Yeshua. That's a different perspective. Knowing you're about to take a hit. Maybe there's somebody in the audience tonight needed to hear that. Sometimes in your desperate moment, you seek the Lord and you you're going to listen to him. You're going to follow his leading, even if you know you're going to take a hit for it. I think the Holy Spirit just tapped me there in my shoulder and said somebody needed to hear that. Boldness, courage, I pray it over you in the name of Yeshua tonight. So Mark describes the girl as dying but not yet dead. Matthew describes the little girl as already having died but the response from Jairus is the same nonetheless, that he knelt down before Yeshua. He fell at Yeshua's feet. He pleaded with Yeshua to lay hands on her and heal her. Our first key phrase of the night. There is no better place to be in a desperate moment than kneeling before Yeshua and asking for his help. Jairus got it right. There is no better place to be in a desperate moment than to kneel down right before Yeshua and ask him for his help. You say, but I, I don't want to have to ask for his help. The problem is he wants you to ask for his help. 
He's not counting it against us because we asked for his help. Maybe you think he's keeping score like, well, it's not like he's a genie in a bottle and you only have three wishes, so don't use them up. Ah, oh, Chad, I'm going to write that down. You, you, you asked me three times already, man. Stop coming to me with all this stuff. No, the father is not like that. The father is like, I've been waiting all day for you to just come. I know you're trapped. I know you're out of answers. I know you're desperate. I, I've got the answer. Do you want it? If you'll come to me without limit, you can come to me. I'll give it to you. That's God's perspective. No better place to be in a desperate moment than kneeling before Yeshua asking for his help. Now, another perspective here is that when Yeshua gets the news from Jairus, he gets up immediately, starts heading toward the house. It says the disciples got up and went with him. And you might say, oh, I wonder which disciples. Well, according to Mark chapter 3, all 12 disciples had already been chosen by this point and called. So it's not just a couple of them. It's apparently the whole group of them have got up to leave. So that's the picture. Jairus would have received something of, an, of a love message, of a caring message from Yeshua when he said, can you please come and help my daughter? And Yeshua immediately gets up and brings his entourage with him. Like, that ministers something. That says something. This man cares for me. He loves me. He wants to help me in my most desperate moment. And certainly the, the disciples are now in a learning mode. You see, their perspective is, I better start soaking up everything I can get. From his teachings, to his miracles, to his healings, to his feedings, to his deliverances, to his confrontations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We better be taking notes, guys. Everybody start writing it down. You know they were looking at Matthew like, Matthew, write that down. Matthew's probably thinking, how did I become the one that had to write this stuff down? John's probably thinking, oh, I'm writing a couple things down too, right? Peter's like, I, I, I got it in my head. I'll get Mark to write it down later. Luke, you, you, you have to tag along with us. Luke, you weren't even there. Just listen to what we told you. And they're in a mode of learning. The disciples' perspective is, what is he going to do next? We've seen him raise people, feed people, cast out demons. He just healed the paralyzed. He's, he's correcting theology and doctrine and teaching, and he, he, he moves when people need him. He's, he's not to be controlled, but he, he's ready to move if you need him. He's going to come to your aid. Disciples, I can't wait. You know what? If I'm a disciple and I'm sitting there listening to the teaching, I'm like, this is good. We're taking notes, Matthew. Write that down. Okay, here we go. And then we hear, uh, my daughter's dying. Can you come and heal her? And we see Yeshua get up. I get up. Where's he going? I'm going with him. I want to be part of what he is doing. And I think that's the disciples' perspective. I'm sure they were anticipating another major event. And rightfully so. So now you know the story. Yeshua's done miracles. The disciples are learning. He's approached about the fasting question. He's teaching. He's in a teaching mode. In the middle of the teaching, Jairus comes, my daughter's dead or dying. 
Come and heal her. He has great faith. Yeshua gets up immediately, snaps. Hey, guys, we got to go. Get all your stuff. It's time to go. We're going to go help this family. They're off toward Jairus' house. The problem is they don't get very far in the story. Look at Matthew, back in the main text. Matthew 9, verse 20. Just then, and, and the just then, by the way, is they stood up to leave and just then. That's, what, that's where the just then goes. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him, that's Yeshua, and she touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Yeshua turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Mark adds a few more details. Mark chapter 5, 26 she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Okay? So Mark adds some things. Mark adds that she's tried all the doctors. No success. Mark adds that she spent all of her money. She's broke. Mark adds that she's not just bleeding and staying normal in that painful state. Mark adds that she's getting worse. 12 years. And faith rises up in her in a moment of desperation. We call tonight's sermon Desperate Moments. The centurion was desperate. Jairus was desperate. And this woman is desperate. And in her desperation, she says, I, I, I don't care who thinks what. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care about backlash and the emails I'm going to get tomorrow. I need to touch that man's seat seat. And somehow she pushes her way, not trying to be rude. You know, I, I, when you're desperate, maybe some of us that come from other cultures and have now moved to Israel, we, if you've ever noticed in Israel, we have a different way of handling crowds and needing to get through them. Have you noticed that? Like there's a whole group of people from certain parts of the world, they believe in standing in line. There's some parts of the world, they believe in taking a number and standing in line and waiting your turn. If you're new to Israel, you're gonna quickly learn. Not everyone in Israel believes in that method. If you don't believe me, go, try to, go to the grocery store, go to the butcher counter, try to order some meat. Watch how many people try to jump in front of you. But I don't think this lady's trying to be rude, you know, but I also don't think she has the luxury of tapping everybody, Slicha, Slicha, can I, I need to get through, Slicha, can you move please? In the most polite but yet desperate way, she had to push. I love y'all, hey, we're in my hometown, y'all know who I am, get out of my way. I've got to go touch this man. I believe that he can heal me. All I got to do is touch him. If he can heal the paralyzed servant without even going to the house, then surely I can go touch him and I'll be healed. Wonderful perspective. This woman had tried everything she knew, and out of her desperation, she pushes her way to touch Yeshua and places all of her faith. It's important. She placed all of her faith on him. Come on. It wasn't on the Maccabi medical card. 
I feel good about this tonight because I feel like I'm talking to all the Israelis and you're, and you're with me and all these, you're tracking with all the examples. If you're a guest tonight, welcome to King of Kings. Maybe you don't get these examples. I don't know. What's a Maccabi card? Slicha, what in the world are you talking about? She placed all her faith on Yeshua. She had nothing else to put faith on. And she grabbed a hold of the seed seed. Put that next photo up there. Mark also adds that before Yeshua spoke to her, he first spoke to the crowd. You see, there's people gathering around him. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 30 and 31, it says, At once Yeshua realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? See, Matthew didn't get that part. Mark slash Peter got that part. Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? Now the lady gets healed, praise the Lord, she gets healed. Faith grabs it, desperate moment, she gets healed. Yeshua knows, again, back to his perspective, he knows power went out, he felt that faith extract power. What's great is it can extract power and no power has been lost, isn't that great? Keep coming to him, keep coming to him, he doesn't get smaller. The loaf of bread doesn't get smaller. It actually gets what? Bigger. We pick up more baskets after we need him. We don't pick up less bread. We get more bread. The more we come, the more we need. And the whole time, guess who is waiting? Jairus. Different perspective, right? And I thought about that. I kind of meditated on that. I thought, I wonder if Jairus in this moment is able to rejoice in her healing. Like, because there's some of our personalities who would have been like, hey, I'm the one that came and got him. What are you doing? Stop buttoning in line. I came to get him. I came a long way. My daughter's dead or dying, something severe. I got him. I'm in line first. Stop butting in front of me, you Israeli woman. And the poor lady was like, I know, Jairus, I, I love you, but I was desperate too, and this is the closest I've ever been to him. I had to take the chance. I had to take the moment. Now, my guess is that's not what Jairus is doing, but you can see that in some of us. But God, I'm the one that needs you right now. I ask you, wh why are you healing that person? Was Jairus able to rejoice in her healing? Or... Did it build more faith, right? Yeshua, come on, my daughter's dying. Yeah, yeah, the guys can come too, let's go. Okay, everybody's up, good, we're making progress. Have you ever led a tour group? It's like, you know, you get about three steps and you gotta recheck. Hey guys, we're good? Backpacks, water bottles, okay, here we go. Guys, no, we're here. Right, over here, right, everybody, get them all, right. And you just kind of like inch your way to the bus. If you could just keep, we can talk on the bus. You know what's great? You can still talk on the bus. It's not a silent bus. Get their phone number, text them. Text them the phone number. Come on, we gotta go. And that's, that's, I'm like, that's me if I'm Jairus. That's exactly how I would be. 
Hey, I got here first. I called Yeshua. He's coming. Remember, I said, hey, can you come? And he said, sure. I'm in line. Let's go. Get all the guys. But Jairus has the opportunity here to say, oh, okay, do what you need to do. Do your thing, Yeshua. The lady gets healed, and he's like, boom, yes, exactly. That's why I came to him right there. Now let's get this show on the road. We got other places to go. Exactly. My faith is built. I'm more excited than I was before. I was thinking you might be able to heal, but now I know you can. Let's get it, let's get it moving. You see, the perspectives, are they can be so different. If you're a positive person, I like to think that Jairus had a good attitude, and he was like, okay, wait patiently. Is she done? She's good? She's healed. Great. Can we go? Can we get on the bus? Different perspectives. We learn another lesson. Just like the centurion, that great faith can release the power of God. This lady learned it. Yeshua acknowledges it. Hey, whoa, oh, who touched me? Somebody with great faith just touched me and I felt power go out. Let me give you our second key phrase of the night. Exercising great faith in a desperate situation can release the power of God. Exercising great faith in a desperate situation can release the power of God. Let's keep talking about the players in this story. The opening scene has a group listening to Yeshua who's teaching on fasting. The next scene has Yeshua surrounded by a large crowd, and as he attempts to leave and go to Jairus' house, it says that the crowd is pressing in around him. As a matter of fact, one of the gospel writers says, the crowd is so large and pressing that they were crushing him. You know what I mean? Like, that's a crowd. Like, there's a difference between being like, oh, hey, guys, shaking hands. No, good, I need to go. We've got some important things to talk about. I've got to get to heal some people. And it's just kind of a, a loose crowd. The crowd was so tight, it says they were crushing Yeshua. Put that photo up there. Is that photo up there? That pressing through. He's having to get through the crowd. I want you to get the right perspective. This isn't easy for Yeshua to get all this done. It's easy in the sense that he's God and he can just do it, but it's difficult in the human side. He's got to get through all these people. The crowd is pressing in on him as the woman touches the seat seat. And finally, he approaches Jairus' house and he encounters a third crowd. So the first crowd was the people he was teaching. The second crowd is the crowd you just saw. They're pressing around and the woman pushes and she gets her healing. That's another crowd. And then he arrives at Jairus' house and he's got a third crowd. I mean, there's some point where you would just be peopled out. Back to the main text, Matthew 9, 23 and 24. When Yeshua entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Mark adds a few more details, Mark 5, 35. While Yeshua was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? 
Remember before, Matthew said she was dead. Mark said she was dying. Now it's Mark who says she's dead. So wherever the confusion came from in the process of, I think that it was Matthew was just saying it from the perspective of this is what we all thought. We thought she was dead. And Mark is saying from the perspective of what Yeshua had said earlier was, she's not dead. This helps us to understand a little bit about each person's perspective and why they chose to write from that particular perspective without contradicting one another by the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you jump down to Mark 5, verse 40, but they laughed at him, talking about Yeshua, when he said, she's not dead. They laughed at him, and after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Now, most scholars, most commentaries will tell you who these people were, that they weren't just friends and family going through genuine mourning process. Some of these people might have been hired. Some of these people might have been professional mourners because that was a thing culturally. It still is today in a lot of cases. The flute players, the people crying and wailing loudly. This might support the idea that these are not just friends, but these are professionals. You know, in Jewish ceremonies, there's a society called the Chavra Kedushah, and they help families, even today, to process the death steps. They help with mourning times. They help with body preparations. They help with burial preparations. They help prepare the sitting of Shiva for seven days. They help the Yiskor with 30 days, they, the lighting of the candle. They help with the 12 months. When, when, you, when, you, when you read the, the Yiskor Adonai and you, you talk about remembering those that we've lost, how do I know that? Because I was part of one of the societies. I had a dear friend, a, a Jewish man, and he was a spiritual leader, and when he passed, his, his wife had, had hired, in the best, you know, purest way you need, she hired the society to help. And so the society asked who did she trust to come and help prepare the body, help prepare the burial, help do and lead the shiva on the 30 days and all this stuff. And so they, they recommended me along with three other gentlemen. So I was there. I got to go into the medical examiners. I got to wash the body. I got to prepare all of it. I got to, to shroud the body. I got to uh, clothe him in her choice, and I got to put all of his favorite articles right there in the casket and then take the casket. Jewish uh, uh, funerals happen very quickly. If you're new to the culture, they happen quickly. If someone passes away within three days, it's, we're done. It's fast. And so, I, I got to be part of that. That's kind of how I know about all of it. Obviously, there's more you can read about it. But I think this is why Yeshua sent them out because he wouldn't have sent out people that were being genuine. He, if they're praying for her or they're, they're just mourning and in pain, Yeshua's not gonna come in and be rude and be like, hey, get out. That would be very against his nature of compassion. Remember, he just got up from where he was teaching and has gone to Jairus' house, just healed somebody along the way. That, that ministers the word of compassion. He's not gonna have compassion and then get to the house and start being rude. 
But I think it, it lends itself to the idea that these were not necessarily family members. These might have been professional people from the company. And Yeshua says, get out. Just thank you for your services. I need you to get out. Jumping to the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, it says. Peter, James, and John. And the child's father and mother. So we get, we get a very small circle. Even though there's more disciples, he only lets in Peter, James, and John and the parents. They're about to witness this thing. And finally, friends, the perspective, we get the main center character of the story, and that's the daughter. Back to the main text, Matthew 9, 25. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News about this spread through all of that region. The daughter is healed. Mark 5, 41 gives us a little bit more detail. It says, Yeshua took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. We didn't know that before. See Mark's perception? He got a little bit more detail. She's 12 years old. We didn't know that before. At this, they were completely astonished. And Yeshua gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. So we learned that she was 12. News begins to spread. Yeshua says to the observers in the room, don't tell anybody. So you might say to yourself, well, how did the news spread if the five people in the room, plus Yeshua and the girl that makes seven, how come it spread if he told them don't say anything? I'm gonna tell you how it spread because everybody thought she was dead. That was the word on the street. That's how Matthew wrote that. Well, we all thought she was dead. Maybe she was. Maybe she was dying. But when somebody saw her walk out of the house and they weren't in the inner room, it didn't matter anymore. Even if the inner room people were faithful not to say anything, the whole town had been there making noise. They saw her. The perspective of the crowd. What just happened in that secret room? Different perspective. Luke 8, 41. Starting to loop it all back together. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Yeshua's feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter. See, we didn't know that before. Luke helped us. Mark told us she was 12. Luke says it was his only daughter. A girl of about 12 years old, she was dying. And as Yeshua was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Jairus' only daughter. And one more verse Closing verse tonight, and then I'm going to summarize all the perspectives. We learn a little bit about the stage of sickness. So maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like, okay, I really want to clarify this whole thing. Was she, was she dead already? Was she dying? Obviously, it's somewhere in there. And then I came across this in Luke chapter 8, 54 through 56. Luke 8. But Yeshua took her by the hand and said, my child, get up and her spirit returned to her. And at once she stood up. And then Yeshua told them, give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. And I saw that and I thought, a spirit returning to her lends itself to a certain thought, right? It may be that she was dying, 
then she did die. And in Yeshua's mind, he's about to heal her, and he says, don't worry. She's not dead. She won't be in a moment. And he prays, get up, and her spirit returns. Either way, this was a desperate moment. Yeshua's perspective on this. Yeshua had to shift quickly from teaching on fasting to becoming a compassionate healer. He also had to deal with the pressing crowds and tried to balance the two urgent healings all at the same time. You know, sometimes when you're doing the work of the Lord, you're trying to do the right thing, you're trying to bless as many people as possible, doesn't mean everybody understands when you prioritize something. Not everybody has all of the information you might have. Can we trust one another in those moments? Just trust one another that they have a good motive. They're trying to do the right thing. They might have information you don't have. Yeshua had to navigate the various crowds and expectations and tried to discern between the different people's motives. Even by the time he gets to Jairus' house, he has to discern the motive of the crowd. And he says, the motive of this crowd, though probably not evil, it's not where we want to go today. I need you to leave. We want to heal this girl. How about Jairus' perspective? I'm a synagogue ruler. I've heard about Yeshua's reputation. It's risky for me to go and get him and ask him to come to my house. But I'm desperate. I have my only daughter, my 12-year-old girl. She's dying or perhaps already dead. Either case, all of my other options have failed me. I have but one choice left, and that is to humbly go ask this Yeshua man that so many of my friends are talking negatively about. I have to go to him and ask for help. And give Jairus credit. He did it. Jairus and his wife not only got Yeshua to come to the house, but they got to go into the secret room, the inner circle. They got to witness Yeshua's compassion, his timing, his authority, and his power. And then I sat there at the end of that passage, and I thought, what kind of a synagogue ruler was he after that? I guarantee you, he was never the same kind of ruler of that synagogue. However it worked before, it did not work that way after. Something changed in his leadership that day. So where are we, friends? Has our place of desperation led us to humbly fall at Yeshua's feet? The disciples. Well, all 12 were there. Three got to go in the, up, in the inside room. They got to see all of the miracles in the series. They were involved in the process of going. They were learning about fasting. They learned how to manage the crowds. They learned how to manage expectations. They learned how to be compassionate. They watched Yeshua's discerning between things. They learned how faith released the power of God, the centurion and Jairus and the woman. They got to watch all of this, learning along the way, writing it down. So where are we? Are we the disciples tonight? Are we conscious of taking in all of the miracles that God is doing around us? Are we paying attention to all of those miracles? Are we anticipating in faith 
the next great miracle through prayer? Are we living a life of anticipation of God's goodness? Where are we, friends? The woman, after suffering at least 12 years, losing all of her money, trying all of the doctors, she learned that God had not forgotten about her. And someone tonight listening needs to have that perspective. Perhaps you've suffered for a very long time. You've asked God plenty. You've tried all of the medical things. You, you're running, your list is running out. And you have a desperate moment. I want you to hear me. God has not forgotten about you. He's ready to move on your behalf. He's ready to stop what he was doing and spend a moment with you. She learned that pressing into the presence of God in her moment of desperation is not only allowed, it's encouraged. Yeshua didn't put up with her. Yeshua turned to her and complimented her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Good job. Where are we? Are we suffering physically? Moment of desperation? Do we need him to break through right now? The crowd. Are we able to hear Yeshua talking past all of that noise in our life? Are there moments where we need to put the crowd out so that we can be part of what God is doing? And whatever crowd noise means to you, listen to the Holy Spirit. Some of you, that's physical people, it's friends, it's neighbors, it's family, it's toxic relationships. Some of us, it's online, you gotta get rid of some stuff. There's noise. Turn the TV off, right? There's noise. Sometimes you gotta put the noise out to focus on what God is doing. Is our motive pure? Or are we professional actors playing the part tonight? Are you here at the congregation pursuing God wholeheartedly with everything in your being? Are you desperate or are you, have you fallen into the trap of laziness and going through the motions? Are you playing a part? Are you an actor today? And we'll close with the girl. This 12-year-old only daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, she learned that her parents love her deeply. Perhaps she already knew that. They went out of their way to go get a healer. She learned that the community around her probably cared for her too because there was a big crowd there. I'm sure she felt loved and cared for. But she also learned that in all of her father's religious knowledge and being in a place of authority at the synagogue that her father and his knowledge had limits. Everything he had studied in the, the Tanakh and the parts of the Talmud, they didn't help her. His knowledge had limits. And she learned that that day. She learned that the only word you'd need is the word that Yeshua says. That's the only word you need. So you stop the noise, you get in the quiet room, you listen to what he says, and he says, little girl, get up. That's the only word that mattered. That's the final word. That story comes to an end right there, and she learned that he has the final word. Isn't that great? Whatever situation we're in, job, money, family, ministry, friends, whatever it might be, tension, 
get the noise out, go into that inner room, and listen to what he says the final word is. And when he gives the word, we're done. She learned that. Yeshua alone speaks the final word. And when he does, your spirit returns. No matter how hard it's been, no matter how many tears you've shed over various situations and the pain in your chest when you can't breathe, we have been there. I have had ulcers in my stomach. I've had nights where I couldn't sleep. I've been so worried about a situation. And I, I tend to stay in that position, that feeling, until I hear the word of Yeshua. And it's like your spirit returns. There it is. That's what you needed. Life returns. Breath returns. Your stomach relaxes. Your heart calms down. You can see clearly. Because Yeshua has the final word. Can you stand with me? Let me pray this blessing over you. And we're going to go into a song that highlights this. Father, in the name of Yeshua, thank you for your word. It's so rich today. Thank you for what Matthew wrote and what Peter wrote through Mark and what Luke wrote, that it all came together to give us this beautiful story. All of the players, the characters, the perspectives, we are somewhere in there. Are we the disciples? Are we the crowd? Are we the synagogue ruler? Are we the, the girl? Are we the disciples? What, where are we? Are we the woman? We all need help. And every one of us probably has a desperate moment right now. Father, I ask you to come in, a, in this congregation. Touch us, Holy Spirit. In that desperate moment, that quiet moment, we need you to speak a final word over this situation. We need you to heal hearts. Bring truth where people have believed the wrong things. Heal us physically mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, heal us. And Father, we learned from this story that the minute the need was known, you got up and you started toward the solution. We ask you to do that tonight for everybody who's standing, everybody whose hands are raised, everybody who has a need, everybody whose heart is in a position to receive tonight. I pray that you move on their heart now. They begin to feel your love, your compassion, and your healing. And you give them the final word tonight in Yeshua's name. Amen.